If you are building a product right now, it is just super important to go back to the drawing board and figure out what problem you're actually solving and figure out if you're, if you're really solving a problem or you're creating a problem. Welcome to AI in the Wild, a weekly discovery show focused on helping professionals across industries apply AI technology in their organizations. I'm your guide, Mina Sleeb, and to focused interviews with founders, investors, and corporate executives, we distill complex AI technology down to basic business solutions. With that, let's get into the show. For this episode, we're blessed to have on two brilliant and down-to-earth individuals, Mike and Vivek, co-founders of Bowtie. Bowtie is a conversational intelligence messaging platform for businesses. Their technology allows businesses of all sizes to book appointments, buy products, and ask questions. Really a 24-7 concierge, making your business customer ready at any time. I've been lucky enough to work with them the past few years as they joined the NYU Future Labs Next Round program and have seen the phenomenal growth they've experienced over a short amount of time. With that, let's talk to them. Vivek? Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, my name is Vivek Siddharsan. I'm the Chief Product Officer at Bowtie. Um, basically, I deal with uh, product design, product development, um, a lot of our front-end stuff and our business-facing tools. Um, and we actually started the company out of Cornell Tech uh, two years ago. And I'll, I'll hand it over to Mike. He can tell you a little bit about himself. Hey everyone, my name's Mike uh, Wang. I'm the CTO here at Bowtie. And I focus on backend development and the architecture around the conversational engine, as well as the machine learning around that. Awesome. Um, and, and just so you guys know, we are based in New York City. Um, so you, you'll obviously hear some sort of uh, fire alarms or uh, emergency alarms um, outside uh, because we are, we are located in the heart of Manhattan. Um, so apologies for any sirens that go off. Um, so with, with that said, let, let's get started. And, and what I want to do first is kind of focus on the, the applications and, and the, the AI technology you guys are actually uh, building with and developing. Um, so if you can tell me a little bit about uh, conversational intelligence or conversational AI, uh, what's that actually mean? What, how, do, how do you guys define that? Yeah, conversational AI to us is really any autonomous agent that communicates with people over natural language to accomplish tasks. So an example would be, you know, a chatbot that allows you to order food or um, even a service on the phone that helps you with tech support um, through conversation. That could be considered conversational AI. Of course, it varies across all different types of domains and use cases. Okay, makes sense. And you, you said uh, you brought up natural language. Uh, so is that that's the same thing as the acronym NLP, correct? Yep, the NL and NLP stands for natural language processing. Awesome. And so so you're and and we want to give our we want to give our audience kind of um, a a more of a specific idea of what. Um, AI subsets are being used. So can you kind of just break down where NLP or NL sits in the AI hierarchy? Sure, of course. Uh, AI sort of encompasses lots of different types of machine intelligence. And so typically the, the, the ones that we think of correlate to human um, senses. And so, you know, there's computer vision, which is, you know, helping to um, identify or classify images or identify objects and images, that type of thing. And then 
Um, audio analysis could be, you know, sort of uh, machine learning around signals analysis could be an example use case of that would be uh, speech to text. So if I'm talking to someone and a machine is transcribing that into text, then that would be sort of another um, form of AI. And then specifically what we're working on uh, with conversational AI is really understanding the semantics or the meaning behind words in a conversation and then uh, allowing the user to accomplish some task and communicating back to them uh, using natural language. So for example, if I wanted to book an appointment, um, I could talk to one of Bowtie's bots and say, can I get a massage next Friday at 5 p.m.? Um, and it might respond, uh, absolutely, Sarah's available at this time, this time, this time, when would you like to come in? Awesome, yeah, that, 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 makes, that makes complete sense. And um, can, you, can you tell me a little bit how so we always hear about you know chatbots. They're all over Facebook Messenger. How how's it how's this differ? How, is this more intense? Is it um, you just more powerful? How do you differ from your typical chatbot that really uh, any any anybody can build off some you know third party? So so one thing that we've done and we've taken a lot of care in doing is trying to identify um, a real problem that small businesses have and see, not really try and jam in conversational AI into any problem, but sort of find a, find a problem that can be solved really, really elegantly through conversational AI. And that's sort of what we've done um, by targeting the beauty, well, oh, beauty, wellness, and health industries, um, specifically in the, uh, as a subset of like appointment-based businesses. Right. And um, in our particular case, we've tailored our AI to be able to book appointments in a way that it feels really natural to clients, um, which is something that just off the shelf, if you were to use like a chatbot builder, you may not necessarily be able to do. Um, so that's that's really what our key differentiation is. Right, and is it is it based off of so? Um, just to explain why that that differentiation is there, most no most chatbots. Correct me if I'm wrong, um, are based off this brain tree, right? Like you say this the. The machine says this. You say this. This happens. Um, but yours really has been developed over the course of several well, hundreds of thousands of conversations and, and data points um, to be able to account for different answers that a consumer might uh, that the machine might face. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we built the conversational engine to be very flexible and really designed around how people actually behave in the wild, which, uh, you know, if, if you are in this space, you realize quickly that it's not exactly what you want or what you would expect necessarily. Um, and so how I would sort of categorize conversational AI across the space is that there are some chatbots that you might consider quote unquote dumb chatbots, which really don't have any AI or um, understanding behind them and are more, uh, are more uh, you know, you answer yes or no, or let's say you need to pick um, a list of available options from a list and it's all really buttons and tree based, like you said. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have fully um, uh, machine learning based AI that really, if you've ever seen Microsoft, Zoe, um, or something like that, they really uh, take the input of the user and only based on that and a deep learning model, let's say, uh, spit back a response. And so there's natural language understanding and also natural language generation on the other end. We sort of sit right in the middle there. Um, so we're able, and uh, but before I uh, talk about us actually, so that 
conversational AI that's really based solely on machine learning, that's typically in the industry used as an augmentation on top of humans. And so, for example, in a call center, um, you might have AI that's sort of suggesting responses to the operators so that they may work more efficiently. But it's tough to find systems that are fully automated with that because of all the little nuances that the machine learning might not get right. And so, again, we sort of sit in the middle there where we provide a fully automated service um, that uh, is a mixture of a rules-based engine as well as machine learning on top of that um, to sort of capture as much of the use case as we can. And so that, again, like we are providing a practical service. Um, which is why we need to leverage both sides of that. Awesome. And so, Vivek, you talked about um, not just trying to solve everything with this yeah. you know, conversational um, solution um, or this AI solution. So tell me how you, how you guys even discover a problem like this. Yeah, so um, we actually started the company as a, as a chatbot to order food from restaurants. Um, it's, it feels like a really long time ago that that was the case. But uh, basically, we all sort of realized that we ordered the same food from the same places, and it would be nice if we could just text that we wanted the usual right. and get that, that, get that order. So that's actually how we got into um, the conversational AI space. Um, but as we were building that, we sort of discovered we were working with a lot of small businesses, a lot of local businesses, and we sort of discovered that there were like some other problems that were going on there that were completely unrelated to the one that we were at the time trying to solve. And namely, we discovered that like a lot of these businesses were missing phone calls all the time, even during the day, um, which is which can be pretty impactful if you're a small business and you only have um, so many customers and every new customer is really, really meaningful to you. Um, so what we actually ended up doing was sort of figuring out that like we could actually text back clients after a call was missed and sort of save that business from from losing a customer in those situations. Mm. And the fusion of those two ended up yielding some pretty good results. And that sort of led us down the path of building out something that could respond to, respond to um, missed calls and potentially um, help clients book appointments. Interesting. So you started out actually in the food space, yeah. but then you realized and, you, and then you started getting into the beauty wellness space because of it just more applicable use case. Yeah. So so when we thought about how we could actually uh, take advantage of that specific problem I just mentioned, like we, we were sort of talking to people and businesses and we realized like the, the businesses that have the most salient uh, or the feel this problem the most um, tend to be in those verticals in the, the beauty, wellness and health space and largely the appointment based space. Right. Awesome. Um, that that makes that's helpful. It, so uh, obviously, uh, especially a year or two years ago when you guys were actually first getting this off the ground and, and making a lot of progress, um, we just saw a bunch of companies, you know, tag on AI onto their onto their domain um, to kind of inflate their evaluation right and that there was really no problem they were solving right they just they just knew that they would be able to uh, gain more traction that way um, so just super important for our listeners if you are if you are building um, a product right now it is just super important to go back to the drawing board and figure out what problem you're actually solving um, and figure out if you're if you're really solving a problem or you're creating a problem um, that that this technology could solve, um, and I think what I what I've really liked about you guys from the very start is that you know you take a very practical approach to a very complex te complex technology, 
um, it, which is something that I don't think um, a lot of a lot of researchers that usually develop this kind of stuff uh, do initially. I think that's actually also the result of the types of clients that we've been working with. Um, because we work with local businesses and with small businesses, um, they're not out there search, searching for like an AI solution. That's typically what large enterprise companies do, but for them, they're trying to solve real problems and grow their business. And so we try and fit in that story as much as possible and limit the amount of technical jargon that we use when we're, we're talking to them because ultimately our product, we, we shape to help them solve real problems. Makes sense, yeah. Um, so. I guess one, one of the problems that I, I know startups face, especially early on, is how you're actually making your, the, the intelligence of, of the machine smarter, right? Um, which goes into, you know, data sets and training sets and, and all that stuff. So how do you guys, you know, really develop this, uh, this, this capability to, to make your system as smart it is at, as it is now? Do you, did you start off with some proprietary data set um, and then train the algorithm that way? Or, you know, what, what you guys do to do that? Yeah, definitely. I think that's one um, thing about AI that makes it difficult for these types of small businesses to get into it in the first place is because of that lack of data. Um, and so the big companies really have a big advantage there. Um, and so what we actually did, um, we, we needed to collect the data to start training the, the AI, right? And we obviously had none of that to start. Um, and so what we did was actually collect that from real world users. And we started off by piloting this technology in a few salons um, that were willing to sort of have one of those dumber chatbots that I mentioned earlier. And so it was, it started off as a Facebook bot and we sort of had a mixture of buttons and, and text, but um, it would, and uh, you know, I can talk about it now as being a very, a very early iteration of the product right. where it would pick up on certain terms and then it would respond and it accomplished the task enough of the time that we would be able to collect that data and improve it over time. Um, what I would say is that it really comes from uh, months and even years at this point of experience, really knowing how these people talk in the space. And so I think that's one thing that people sort of underestimate when approaching an AI task and building a practical product is that um, it's not just something that you throw data at um, and you know a perfectly working algorithm comes out on the other end, especially in, in conversation. Um, I think with images, it's a little bit different if you have a really well-labeled data set. Um, but conversational is very winding. The pathways are winding. You know, people express different intents, different ways, and even within across different businesses, express different intents, different ways. And so, having uh, you know looked at all of those individual cases, we can develop processes around cleaning, cleaning the data, um, and improving the algorithm in ways that really come from experience. To Mike's point, the one thing that I think um, we've done a good job about is really spending time focusing on the specific vertical. So like, there are a lot of shiny objects out there and there's a lot of things that we say we could do. Um, and obviously, maybe we want to eventually do those things, but by being super focused for a really long period of time, we've been able to solve a lot of the problems that Mike has been talking about, where we've gotten to a point where it works really, really well for the clients that we're serving and that will help us grow. Um, into other verticals in the future. Yeah, good good point. So 
Um, you kind of brought us into uh, the next section and uh, a big decision that companies need to make, especially if they're, uh, you know, building these types of algorithms or, you know, leveraging some sort of uh, artificial intelligence subset um, is, are you going to go horizontal? You're going to go vertical, right? And you guys uh, specifically mentioned the fact that you're, you've been very vertical from the beginning, really. Um, and probably uh, is it's to actually um, make sure that data set is focused and that the machine is you know focused on a specific um, way of being trained um, going after this type of vertical how how important is it for you to explain the technology to the customers as opposed to just saying you know don't worry about just selling the product and they, they don't need to necessarily need to worry about how it's actually working. Yeah. So for us, um, like I was saying before, like because the types of clients that we have um, are not necessarily out there in the market searching for an AI solution, um, we try not to, to necessarily overcomplicate the situation. We're more focused on trying to see what problems they have and make sure that the AI that we use or the conversational format that we use um, ends up being able to solve those problems really, really effectively. Um, that one helps us sort of like create a product that is really, really strong and not just like focusing on making the tech like amazing because at the end of the day, like these businesses, if the tech is amazing, but it doesn't actually solve the problem for them, they won't end up um, using the solution. Yeah, to that point, I've seen, I've seen several um, AI startups with superior accuracy to their competitors, but at the end of the day, they can't necessarily sell the solution, right? So it comes down about execution, actually getting to market and, and selling, acquiring customers. Um, have you have you found actually, Mike, um, that accuracy is a very important um, you know quality in in the solution or the algorithm, or at some point it really doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah, I would say that accuracy accuracy certainly matters a lot, um, and but you do get a lot of diminishing returns. So you know, get as fast as you can to eighty percent accuracy. I'm speaking specifically with the type of product that we're building, but like get as fast as you can to eighty percent, um, and then it, and then everything on top of that should be weighed against um, other aspects of the product. You know, ease of use. So. Um, another really important aspect of our product is how elegantly we handle errors. So if the bot doesn't understand that what someone says, um, uh, you know, you could either respond, I didn't understand that, or uh, you could gracefully hand it off to a human and have the front desk sort of handle that situation. And so right now, about 15% of our conversations get handled by a human. So if somebody comes to a salon and they ask, you know, do you guys use organic products? Or... Um, uh, you know, like where do I park or what's the door code or something like that, and we don't have that information on hand, um, and we haven't added that as a as an answer yet. Then we would say, looks like you have a question. Uh, I'll connect you to the front desk who can help you get that answered. And so I would say certain product features like that, at a certain point, become more important than accuracy. But of course, um, if you can get it to a point where you wouldn't even need to hand it off like that, then that would be ideal. Right. Um, but just keep in mind that 
the people using it at the end of the day, their experience is the most important thing. And so if getting that accuracy from 85 to 90 percent is going to improve that, um, if that's the bottleneck right now, then that's where you should focus. If there's other things you can do to put in place to make the experience better, then focus on that. Did you see when you went to market um, that it was easy to show the value very early on um, of the product or like is this something, you know, I plug into my backend or I just start using a solution, I immediately see return on my investment? Or was it something that based on how accurate you guys were and the development of the product, then it started becoming more valuable? So I guess there's two, maybe two ways to answer that question. One is like I, I, when, we inst- when somebody uses our product or when they start using our product, there is a period of time where it does take time for their customers to start conversing with it to start recognizing that it's on the website. So there is like a little bit of period of time where the, the, the business that's using it is going to start to progressively see more value. And on the other side of it, um, in terms of accuracy, the, the AI is constantly improving. So for a particular business, we see new things come up. We see the way that their clients are talking and the AI is improving as that happens. So they're going to have, this This tends to be the, the case with a lot of AI products, they're going to have a better experience potentially over time, mm-hmm. um, both in terms of usage and in terms of the accuracy that they see. And it, and it, it actually, it seems like it goes hand in hand um, with how, how well developed the actual product is. Um, but it also is more of an education point, right? Because a lot of time users are just not ready for it, right? And you see that with various uh, various different technologies, right? Uh, you talk about blockchain, you can say the same thing. Just a lot of times, the user's not ready for it. I think, you know, the best companies, and you, you, are, you are a product expert, right? That's, that's really what you do. Um, but how important is it to focus on that product design um, to get to move a, a user through the workflow? Yeah, so we basically have two halves of that, that, um, that problem. Basically, one half is we have a bunch of tools for the business that allowed them to make optimizations to their to their bot, but then also respond to customers, as Mike said, and make sure that their customers have a great experience, whether the AI can handle their question or not. Um, and then we also have like a um, web chat widget that like provides hopefully a good experience for customers when they come to the website um, and sort of walks them through the, the conversational flow. But then the other side of it that is that is very important is actually conversational design. And this is something that's like sort of an emerging field in, in the area of design. So people typically associate design with like just purely visual things or, or user experience in terms of how people interact with the website. But um, with our system, it's more about how they talk and how we respond to what they've said. Um, so providing really, really clear, um, intuitive, natural sounding responses is super important to providing an experience that feels um, enjoyable for a client because if it feels robotic or it feels frustrating or cumbersome nobody's going to ever want to do it again so we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that the conversational design is done well in order to provide like an amazing experience not just interfaces interesting do do you ever you ever throw in some personality into some yeah we have some we have some personality in there we have a lot of emojis in there i definitely i definitely need an example we also have clients who don't like the emojis so we have we have like a what's the mode called it's like um uh strict mode or is is like a formal 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 language (laughs) (laughs) so you have formal language and then you have like we have our emoji version yeah that's awesome 
We had one version, and this came from all the way from the food bot, but when you finish your appointment, it says, crushed it, <laughs> with like a little emoji. And then some, some of our clients saw that, and they were like, no, 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 no not going to work. They were like, we needed to say, wonderful. <laughs> That's actually an important thing also, is that because um, we work with so many different businesses, they all have their own brand voice, and they have their own style. Right. Um, and so we've had to learn along the way, like how to cater to that without necessarily customizing everything, because like we have a solution that hopefully should be in the hands of thousands of businesses and we can't customize every single one. So providing the right way and the, the easiest way for them to get their voice across without us breaking our backs customizing things has been, has been difficult, but I think we've done a good job of it. Right, yeah, so it's kind of like just, um, it's kind of like personalizing it to a specific, to, to a certain degree. So like personas, right? Like this business has this type of persona, this business has this, that no, makes sense. Um, you guys have been in the space for a, a while now, right? You guys went to Cornell Tech. You came. You started the business there. Um, prior to that, were you were you in entrepreneurship? No. So actually, I worked at I worked at Nielsen with uh, our third co-founder, who's our CEO, Ron. Um, so we worked there for a while in the R and D group, and then um, Mike was. Well, I'll let you explain. Yeah, actually, um, before starting Bowtie with my wonderful co-founders, I actually came straight from school. Uh, so I just finished my undergrad and then um, was really intrigued by the Cornell Tech program, it being really entrepreneurial and technical at the same time. Uh, and then so moved here to New York and uh, coming here, I, I was just, you know, before we came up with this product idea, one thing that was sort of in the back of my mind was that there's all these small businesses that are hustling all the time. And there's like New York is a really, you know, sort of dog eat dog world sometimes where everybody, there's so much competition and especially with um, small business owners trying to start something, it can be really tough when faced with uh, large corporations like Starbucks, for example, taking over every corner. Right. Um, and so that's like one of the motivations for us starting this company is like really trying to give those smaller businesses their edge back um, it, with a tool that is in a technology that is typically only available to larger enterprises. Right, and I, th I think the beauty of the product and why it's usable is because it's simple, right? Um, no pun intended, but it's basic. Uh, <laughs> so I, on, the, uh, on the surface. On the surface, exactly, on the surface. Um, yeah, we need to make that distinction. Most of all the technology that we're gonna be talking about on this, uh, on this podcast is not actually basic, but it can be, um, presented in a very basic way um, for the general public to understand and um, to actually implement in their lives. Um, but uh, back to our regular programming, uh, I, I want to touch on kind of the skills that you guys think is needed for somebody um, to actually jump into, whether, whether it be tech or you know, get a career um, in AI or whatever it may be. Um, but I wanna I wanna get your thoughts on like how does somebody get involved? If I'm if I'm listening right now and you know I'm not necessarily working at a startup or I'm not, I don't have coding experience, you know, is there another way for me to get involved? Um, yeah, I would say so. If uh, if you're speaking of sort of how to integrate AI into your existing organization, um, one thing I would say is. Unless you're actually doing the programming, which most of the time you're not, and you're sort of just sort of trying to motivate the use of AI and, and think of ways that it can uh, improve your existing product or service, um, just knowing a at a basic level 
no pun intended again, um, what different types of algorithms are available in the AI space. So for example, classification, clustering, um, regression, uh, optimization, those types of things. And then, and then sort of knowing that you can start to think of ways to apply that to your business. And so, for example, if you have a lot of data around uh, shipping routes and, you know, you see potential inefficiency and you're spending lots of money on like trucks or whatever and, and you see the opportunity to pitch to your boss, you know, like, um, listen, there's this AI technique that allows us to optimize uh, routes. We should, maybe we should look into that. So just having a very high level understanding of these things right. um, goes a long way in, in understanding the applications as well. Interesting. And I, I think to, uh, to that point, it comes back to really figuring out the problems that need to be solved uh, if you're creating a business, but or even the problems that need to be solved in your business or your, your company that you're working at. Um, and I, I think that also uh, comes back to what are the what are the other things outside of programming, right? You're, you're a product guy. Um, you know, how much programming knowledge do you need specifically to be able to to do what you do well? So, I mean, I do have uh, an engineering background. I, that's what we went to school for. Um, so, but my my focus has turned more into like the, the consumer facing and the, the business facing tools. Um, so in that regard, like, a lot of it, I think, is um, a lot of my day to day is actually related to, to programming as well, but in yeah. a different sense. Um, but I think that one thing that would be valuable if you were looking to get into the space or like understand how to do these types of things is um, just talking to people and like actually figuring out like what what the problem is. Like you said, like you, you can try and jam conversational AI into anything, right. but it probably won't work that well for most things. Like really complicated tests it's not going to do um do as well as something like what we're performing or something else um so i would say like maybe one of the better ways to do it is to look at it in the other way and see like okay i have this problem right now how can i how can i solve it using ai i feel you and uh you guys have specific places you go to get kind of if i wanted to build my foundation you guys already have that foundation you went to school for it or you studied it for quite a long time but do you guys have specific resources that you use to kind of stay up to date in terms of uh the tech uh the tech or uh for business in general things you like to read yeah so we we actually have a book club that we do every month um i've never just i want to be clear i've never actually been invited to this book club. (laughs) (laughs) it's a book club of three so it's not a very popular right also the first time i've ever heard about it i'm not offended i kind of am offended but please keep listening we'll talk about it later uh so yeah we've read a we've read a fair number of books They, they tend to focus more on the business side than on the like the deep tech stuff um but one thing that I mentioned earlier was around focus, and there was a book that we read called Radical Focus, um, which I recommend to anybody. It's it's actually super short, really great read, um, and that I think actually had a really meaningful impact on our business because, like I was saying, like every day there's like a shiny new object that we could chase after, and one learning to discipline ourselves to not necessarily chase after every shiny object, and then also understand which ones are worth going after. Um, it gave us like a pretty good um, foundation to sort of create craft that like methodology into our business. So that's that's one that I would say is super valuable. 
Yeah, a few other books. If you're looking to start a business, especially um, a few other books that we read that I would really recommend are Lean Startup um, and uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. So those one one of them is like the lean startup is much more practical, sort of like the mindset that you go into starting a business and product development and sort of how you get your initial users. The hard thing about hard things is much more on the emotional side and sort of how you're, when you're growing that business, like how do you deal with various challenges that come across. Um, another resource I would really recommend is actually the Cornell Tech Startup Studio GitHub. Um, so they have like a whole syllabus that's publicly available um, and. They do a really great job. I think we got our, uh, you know, skill set sort of kickstarted there, and they do a really good job of distilling a lot of uh, startup concepts into into a pretty good course. And before uh, before we wrap up and get into what's next with Bowtie, um, do you find that you know resources at Cornell Tech? Let's say I'm at a university. Um, I know you you've been affiliated with many universities. You're at the you're at the NYU Future Labs right now. Uh, of disclaimer of which I am employed um, and and you've been part of Cornell Tech have you found those to be like uh, really good resources for you guys yeah I mean like Mike said I don't think we could have started our business or been gotten to where we are now without either of those um, so Cornell Tech was really great when we had like basically nothing and didn't know how to start a business um, didn't know really where to start and so like Mike was saying like they have a they have a course called Startup Studio which is the, where we actually started the company and that was instrumental in getting us um, getting us out the door and then NYU Future Lab sort of took us to the next level I feel like once we were once we sort of had honed in on a problem that we felt like was meaningful um, NYU was like great at getting us sort of the next get to the next phase. Yeah I, I bring that up because I always um I always stress that when you are in school, a lot of people say it's either I'm a startup founder, I have to drop out or I have to be in school. And and that is not the case because I think there are just several uh, university resources that are actually underutilized um, that if you are in that <clears throat> if you are in that position right now, um, you should definitely take advantage of it, uh, which you guys definitely did. Um, and I guess. I want to know what's next. What's what's up with Bowtie? You guys have been, you know, crushing numbers right now. I know that. Uh, so super proud of that. But um, what's next for you guys? I know you've been in the beauty, health, wellness space. Oh, wait, you guys have an acronym for it. Right? BWH. 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 Beauty, uh, wellness, health. Um, so, you know, what, what's next for you guys? Well, I think one thing is grow as fast as we can. So we're trying to scale up. Um, basically every part of our business, um, both in terms of staff and also just like how we operationalize our sales. Um, so that's another component that we didn't really touch on here, but like actually like pushing our product out there right. into the market. Um, so we're, we're pretty being pretty aggressive about that. And then I think in the future, what we are planning to do is start to one, expand our product set a little bit, um, and then also expand our vertical focus um, as we start to grow. So that's something that's like a gradual process that will take a long time, and we don't want to do it incorrectly. Like if we go in a new vertical, we want to know that we can we can actually provide a really great product there. So that's something that we take with um, great care, but hopefully that'll be in the future. What, what do you think goes into uh, making that shift? Like what, what would say, yes, we're prepared for this vertical or not prepared for this vertical? Um, I think it, it really depends on if there's demand in the market for what we are providing. So if we feel a pull from the market, 
um, that's a good indication. If we feel like people are approaching our business from a specific vertical versus others, that's also a good indication. So, and then talking to people, like I said before, like we, instead of building something out, we can actually talk to people and get answers for free. Um, so we might as well try and do that if we have a good intuition about a particular vertical. Cool. Yeah. Another big aspect of that, like Vivek was saying earlier, is focus. And so um, really, we've, we think we've identified one of the best verticals to start off in. And so we're really trying to conquer the market here. Um, and as, and you know, by the time we, we think that we've done that to um, a good degree, then we might expand uh, and sort of grow the business horizontally in addition to vertically. But right now, there's a lot of greenfield where we are at. Yeah. Um, and then on the tech side, you know, we're always experimenting with new architectures um, with, with the latest. Uh, you know, Google just released the new transformer architecture. So we're looking at some of those things as well. Yeah. And, and that's actually uh, a technology architecture. He's not speaking about a new movie coming up. I want to be very clear. <laughs> I'm not sure if there's a new transformer movie, but that is not what he was talking about. <laughs> so thank you for listening to my corny joke. Um, and... Uh, yeah, with, with that, I, I would say the last thing for, for an entrepreneur, you, uh, if I had to summarize this conversation, we're specifically uh, focus, right? That's what I would call this uh, podcast. I would, basically, it was all about focus, whether it's, you know, what technology you're leveraging or, um, you know, how you're attacking a market. You guys are s- supremely focused on a, a certain vertical. Um, with that focus going into this, you guys actually started when everybody was trying to tackle this chatbot revolution, right? Basically, yeah. everybody's coming out with a chatbot. Every business, every enterprise now has a chatbot. All that, all that stuff has dwindled. But when you're starting, how do you, how do you not care about how many people are getting into it? It was, it was that was a hard thing for us. I think that there were just so many chatbots out there. Um, at some point, we kind of just had to put our blinders on and sort of figure out what was going to work for us, um, which I don't know if we did perfectly. But now that there are less chatbots out there, it's a lot easier right. um, because we're sort of in the trough of sorrow for chatbots. Right. And hopefully there will be like a, a, a new explosion of really effective, great chatbots. Right. I think what happened was like a lot of these big platforms like Facebook and stuff like that, they introduced chatbot um, frameworks or frameworks for people to build those types of things and it just like went way overboard Um, and people were building things without use cases and so then there was no usage Um, so that's that hopefully that's not going to happen the next time around yeah and I yeah yeah I totally agree and um, uh, one thing I would say is that um, a lot of these bots that came out sort of underestimated what it would take to build a a conversational technology that really worked. And so, like I said, one thing that we've discovered and uh, challenges that we have, a lot of the challenges that we've overcome over the past few years revolve around people not uh, speaking very cleanly and robotically like you would like to your chatbot. Um, And so when you ask the client, you know, hey, is there a particular staff member you'd like to see? And then they start telling you about how their kids are late to school and that they're not going to make it on Friday, but they can um, <laughs> you know, make next month and they're wondering who's available between 5 and 5.30, right. who is a specialist in blonde hair. Um, it, it, it gets a little complicated. So I think a lot of the chatbots that initially came out sort of um, slowly realized that 
it was a lot more difficult of a thing to uh, to accomplish. It's dope. Um, rapid fire questions. Well, what'd you do this summer? <laughs> Worked. <laughs> what are you doing this weekend? This weekend, uh, I'm going to visit my cousins in New Jersey. There it is. That's 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 lit. That's <laughs> yeah, I know it's crazy. <laughs> They're nine and ten. So <laughs> give me something else. Give me something else. <laughs> Yeah, I have a few friends in town, so I'll probably hang out with them, and uh, they're from the West Coast, so, you know, here, here going on <laughs> We'll there. talk about the real stuff when we're off this, don't worry. Yeah, we're it. pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, somebody was like, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, working. <laughs> like, I thought you were interested. No, no, um, Cool. Any, uh, any movies you watched recently? Saw crazy, crazy rich Asians. Yeah, how was that? What do you guys think? I thought it was good. I thought I, re I really liked it. I actually went in with higher expectations, so like everybody was like, "This is amazing." So I was like, "Okay, it's not going to be anything like a normal romantic comedy." Right. And it had like the same tropes as like a normal romantic comedy, but like I thought they did it in a better way. And obviously, the plot line is more original. So I want to. I want to. I want to clap for your word tropes. That was <laughs> is that is that the right word? That I think that's the right word. Yeah. No clue, but it was dope. Uh, what about did you see it? Yeah, I did. I, I thought it was great actually. Um, I sort of came into it with lower expectations because I thought it would be. Uh, when I saw the trailer, I was like, "Oh, this is like another rom com that's gonna be like super over the top and like trying to do this whole like Asians in Hollywood thing." Right, right, right. Um, but I thought they did it really well, and and I I'm, I'm you know being an Asian myself, I have quite a few Asian friends, and so. Um, there were a lot of elements of the movie that I felt like appealed to Asians in ways that Hollywood movies never have before. Yeah. Um, and also just the exposure, I think, is, is, is a testament to sort of um, the, the, the minds of Hollywood producers opening up a little bit yeah. in some senses. And I think, you know, progress is always good on that front. Yeah, we had a, we had a couple of The minorities this year had a couple of successes with uh with black panther mm -hmm. and we got crazy rich asians i'm waiting for a middle eastern movie to come out real yeah. soon i was telling my friends i'm waiting for crazy rich indians to come out <laughs> <laughs> so so um hopefully we'll have you guys back when as as we start getting more of these but <laughs> but i loved how the the crazy rich asians had british accents did they yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, isn't that like a common accent in that's singapore i don't know if that's true or not yeah but. yeah Interesting. Yeah, for your first statement, I was going to disclaimer that by saying Mike is Asian. He's allowed to say all of the things he's about to say. Uh, so uh, you disclaimed it for us. Um, so with that, um, I think we're, we're at the end. Is there anything uh, people should look out for? Anything you want to say? I know you said talked about hiring. Are you looking for anything? Yeah, so we, we, we're actually just about to hire someone. So unfortunately, I think that role is going to be filled. But um, uh, Next year, we'll definitely be expanding the team a lot. Cool. So look out for Bowtie, people. Look out for Bowtie. Um, and with that, I want to thank you guys very much for being on episode one. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, I learned a lot. Um, I think uh, we really distilled a lot of complex, complex stuff into some practical use cases. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us in the wild this week. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or however you listen. Catch you next week, and as always, stay blessed, my friends.